If you hear the word quench, quench, that's not an uncommon English word. It simple definition, it means to put out or to extinguish something. Now, when I was growing up in the 1930s, uh, Gatorade was a uh, what was the famous drink? If you were an athlete, you needed to drink Gatorade. And Gatorade's motto for years was they were the thirst quencher. That, so to extinguish or put out thirst is a good thing if you're really thirsty. That was, a, that was a good motto. In fact, that came out in 1970, and many of us still remember it today, the thirst quencher. Well, this evening we're going to jump out of the book of Judges for this week and next week because of revival and try to look at some, uh, some scriptures that hopefully will get our hearts prepared for, for our revival as Christians. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to look at quenching the Spirit of God. Uh, quenching God. And obviously this is not a, uh, a positive thing. But it is an extremely, extremely important thing. Let's begin trying to answer the question, because definitions matter, words matter. What does it mean to quench God? What does it mean to quench God? Even the saying that sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? It sounds, uh, it, it sounds disturbing. It should sound disturbing to you and me. It's a disturbing, disturbing thing. Here, let me tell you what it is. This is tying the hands of or binding the Spirit of God. To quench God is to tie or to bond or to limit are to stifle the Spirit of God. In verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. The, the phrase put out there literally means to quench something. It, it means to extinguish it. It means to, to put it out in the Spirit of God. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Who is the Spirit of God? Well, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. So to put out the Holy Spirit is to quench the power of God. You know, it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire in the New International Version. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus says, I will baptize you with, or John said, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one, Jesus, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit there is associated with the fire. Now, I'm talking about literally puts you in a flaming uh, baptistry. Symbolically, the Holy Spirit is tied in with fire. In Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says, this day of Pentecost, they saw what seemed to be tongues of what? A fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Uh, in other places in the Bible, the work of God, the Spirit of God is, is identified figuratively, symbolically to be with fire. Now, it's interesting, this little phrase here, to, to put out, or in the, the King James and some other translations, simply put, to quench, is a, is a word in Paul's time that literally meant to extinguish the campfire. It was to throw water on the fire, to put the blanket on the fire, to, to smother the fire. It was, it was to, to put it out. So to, to, to quench God, now listen, quench God, it, it, it means to put the, the, the water on, to put the blanket on, to stifle and smother the work of God. Is that not a staggering thought? I'm going, to, I'm going to show you a couple of things. One, this can be a personal thing. In fact, it, it always begins personally. 
uh, th- these people in Thessalonica, the, the primary recipients were Christians. Certainly, there were people who were hearing this first letter read that weren't Christians. But as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It won't be on the screen. Romans 8, 9 clearly states, Romans 8, 9, that, that if you don't have the Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. So you cannot be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. So quenching the Spirit fundamentally is a Christian thing. It's, it's a Christian issue. And, and you as a Christian and I... We live daily with the opportunity to have the Spirit control us and to fill us, or we can keep the Holy Spirit bottled up in our big toe. But this is also a church issue. In fact, the the primary emphasis of this text right here was talking to a church body. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Uh, He's talking to these people in Thessalonica. He's talking to people in Ruston. The Holy Spirit's work is like the work of a fire that's purifying and it's warm, that brings light, that brings heat, that brings power. And he told them, listen, you have the potential to put out the Spirit of God's fire. And I want to tell you, uh, this ought to go without saying, but I want to say this is a very bad thing. This is a very bad thing. In in the, the Greek language... When he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire, it's almost like Paul is hitting on the proverbial pulpit here. Do not do this. He's being emphatic. And some scholars believe he was telling them to stop an act that was in process. Don't do this. This is a bad thing. The Holy Spirit is God among us. He's the power of God in us and among us. And and he's telling them, don't quench the Spirit in your lives, in your church. In John 15, 5, John 15, 5, it says, I am the, the vine, you are the branch. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Isn't that great? Now look at the last part. You can do nothing apart from me. Apart from me, what can we do? Nothing. Quench the Spirit of God in our lives. We are powerless. Quench the Spirit of God in our church. We are what? We are powerless. We can meet. We can sing. We can talk. We can teach. But we do not have the hand of God on our lives. Josh and Justin, I want to tell you, all this applies to a college minister, a youth minister, and every area of our church body as well as your life. There was a church in Texas that, that had on the walls outside of the sanctuary a plaque commemorating and honoring Members who had died in the various wars since this church had been founded. World War I, they actually had some members died. World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. And one day the pastor was standing out there during the Sunday school, right after the Sunday school hour. He was looking at the plaque with a, a little boy, and the little boy was staring at it. And he said, Preacher, what does this represent? He said, Well, these are men from our church who died in the service. And the little boy looked at it a minute, and he said, which one, the early service or the late service? (laughs) The truth is, when the Spirit of God is not working among us, our services are dead. Again, we can shout and scream and sing and preach, but without the Spirit of God, we have nothing. This is a terrible thing. How does this happen in a church? We're going to talk about the church context tonight because that's the original context. But again, this starts individually. So all these things, all these things apply to you personally. They would apply to our youth group, our 
children's ministry, our college ministry, our choir. They apply to all of us in, in every segment and every aspect of our ministries in life. How does this happen in a church? How do we quench the Spirit of God? How do we think about how do we uninvite the Holy Spirit to His church? How do we, how do we go about asking the Holy Spirit, why don't you go sit out in the foyer while we have church? Think about that. Holy Spirit, listen, we're going to do, we got a business meeting and you're not going to like what's going on. Go on to the fellowship hall and get a donut. We got business to do. How does this happen in a church? How does this happen? I'm going to give you several ways. Number one, when we're unreceptive to God's word. And I'm going to give you a list tonight that's not exhaustive. I think it certainly goes here in the scriptures with this passage. Not exhaustive, but important to you and me this evening. Verse 19, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Now look at verse 20. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now the word prophecy, a lot of times when you hear that, you think about um, some guy on TV tonight at 11 o'clock who will be telling you when the end of the world is going to happen. Or you think about a show on TBN or a book that you've read that we think about prophecy as being predicting the future. And there is an element in the New Testament of prophecy that does have a word from God about the future. I, I'm always careful about that. It always amazes me when the TV preacher knows more about the end of times than Jesus did. Isn't that interesting uh, to, to you? It is to me. But the primary word for prophecy in the New Testament is preaching. It's not future predicting. It's truth proclaiming. And I think that's exactly what he's saying here. Do, he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not have a bad and unreceptive attitude toward the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. I want to ask you this evening, how many of you came into church tonight, came into church this morning, went to your Bible study class really expecting to hear a word from God? How many of you prayed for your Sunday school teacher or your preacher this week? Oh, I don't get anything out of it. Well, maybe if you prayed harder for them, they'd do a better job. It's amazing when I pray for you how my attitude towards you changes too. You know, in this passage, we just don't have time to go into it all tonight. It, it certainly deals in another aspect about wrong preaching and teaching. When, when the Word of God is not preached or taught, that quenches the Holy Spirit. When some Yahoo gets in a Sunday school class or in the pulpit and, and says things that are biblically untrue, the Holy Spirit just leaves. Because, see, the Holy Spirit wrote the book. And we disrespect the book, we're disrespecting God. When we, when we are unreceptive, to the Word of God being taught to us or preached to us, we quench the Spirit of God. I heard a, a, a guy who was a prominent pastor several years ago. Now he's on the Hollywood scene. He's moved away from the local church, and I'm sure he's making big bucks. And here's what he said. They asked him about a current social issue. And he said, well, I think the church is evolving on that, and it's going to change on that, and it's going to come around on that. And he said, the church has got to quit clinging to those 2,000-year-old documents. 
Friend, I want to tell you, when we stop clinging to this 2,000-year-old document, the Holy Spirit's going to go, and he's not even going to stay in the foyer. He's going to go across the street to the courthouse. I almost, boy, it made me so irritated. If I could have reached through the computer and got his little scrawny pencil neck, I'd have shook him. In Christian love, of course. Are you open to the Word of God? Do, do you want to hear from God? When we're unreceptive, listen, how can we come into a church service, our Sunday school class, our lady or men's Bible study class, we know it all, we don't need to hear it, they're boring, I got it figured out. If that's your attitude tonight, please, please, please repent because you're quenching the Spirit of God in our church. Repent. We quench the Spirit of God when we do that. Let me give you a second thing. We quench the Spirit of God when there's sin amongst us that's not dealt with. When there's junk in our lives, the junk in our church that we, we ignore. In verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. Every means every. It means any and all kinds of evil. And I think it's vague there because he meant it to be vague there. There's not any kind of evil or sin that we can be okay with. Now, that doesn't mean all of us are sinners. And there's going to be sin in a church because there's people in a church. Amen? But there's a difference in us being sinners and us wallowing in it. And that's what he's saying. Listen, he's saying, avoid it. We, we've got to move away from it. We cannot waller in it. Or the Holy Spirit leaves. In 1 Corinthians 5, read this when you get home. In 1 Corinthians 5... <clears throat> Paul was talking to the people, the church in Corinth, and he said, you guys, and I'm paraphrasing, but here's what he was basically saying. You are quenching the Holy Spirit. You are smothering the Spirit. There was an active people in their church, and a man was, was married or living with sexually his stepmother. We're assuming the stepdad or his dad was dead, but... And Paul said, you guys are acting like this is okay. Like, oh, aren't they a cute little couple? Paul said, you've got to rebuke that guy and get him to repent because God never tolerates that. Listen to me. I don't think we are in danger in this church of doing this, but we cannot ever smirk or laugh or, or, or blow off immorality among our church body and be okay with it. Amen? But here's something a lot of conservative churches do. We tolerate meanness. <laughs> well, we wouldn't tolerate immorality. And let me say again, we absolutely should not. But I, I've been in Baptist churches my whole life. I've preached in probably 100 or 200 of them. Especially you get in little churches, it's not uncommon that there's a bully that's been in that church for 20, 30, 40 years who's run it, who's ruled it and dominated, and everybody walks circles around them because they're afraid of it. Or they give them the most money. Why do you tolerate that? That's sin. If, surely if he was living in adultery with someone and everybody knew it, you wouldn't tolerate it. Why do we tolerate any kind of wrong behavior? God, in your life personally in our church, we are, we are not looking for trouble. But when sin shows up, we've got to be lovingly and clear in dealing with it. Or we quench the Spirit of God. Number three, un unforgiveness and bitterness when they set in. Unforgiveness and bitterness. Verse 15. Make sure that nobody, nobody pays back 
wrong for wrong. You know, I think it's interesting in the context here. He doesn't say <laughs> you're not going to be wrong. He just says you've got to respond properly to it. He doesn't say people aren't going to mistreat you and, and be unkind to you and talk about you and hurt you and let you down. He just says it's how you respond to that that's going to either ruin your life or ruin your church. Now, if you're serious about God, you cannot let an unforgiving, bitter spirit camp out in your life. Thus, we cannot let an unforgiveness, bitter spirit camp out in our church. It will run us. It will ruin us. A lady named Mary Carr wrote a book called The Liar's Club. And in that book, Mary tells a story about uh, her aunt and uncle. This was back in the 20s. They got into an argument because he thought she spent too much money on sugar. She went to the store, the general store in the community. She bought some sugar. He got mad at her because she spent too much money on sugar. And all the men are going, amen, he should have straightened her out for that, right? Nowadays, it's shoes or whatever, but then it was sugar. For several years, they did not speak to each other. Still so irritated, he gets a saw. I'm not making this up. And he saws their wood frame two or three room house in half. He gets some people to come and he moves it. They have one acre. One acre is not real big if you hate somebody. And puts it on the other side of that acre. He gets some people and they cover up where he has uh, obviously sawn in half. He had exposed half of his house and he gets some people to go and they carpenter up and cover up her side of the house, and for 40 years, until they died, they lived on that one acre in half of their homes, never speaking to each other again over somebody spending too much money on sugar. The Greek word for that is stupid and sin. How many people in churches, though, are, are, are mad about something, bitter about something, that somebody may not even know that they did, but you're mad at them about it. Or that you haven't let something go that happened two years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago. That's fine. God will, listen, God will let you hold on to that. But understand, you are quenching the Spirit of God in your life. You're throwing, completely throwing water on it. And you will do that in our church. And we can't let you do it. We can't let you do it. But unforgiveness and bitterness will quench the Spirit of God. Here's the fourth thing, and this goes right with it, disunity. You know, one of the things that Paul was dealing with a lot in the 13 letters God wrote through him was about unity. Verse 13, he says, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. But look at the last part of this. Live in peace with each other. One of the greatest tools, or two of the greatest tools the devil has to cause strife in a church, especially, again, a conservative church, it's not going to tolerate uh, wrong biblical teaching, it's not going to tolerate flagrant immorality, is that bitterness and unforgiving spirit, and then it's ugly follow-up with that is disunity. When disunity gets in the church, brother, you quench the Spirit of God. I have a friend who pastored a church uh, many years ago. It was his first church, and he said, you know, I went there... 
I was naive, I was young, I was excited, and said after a year or two, man, I realized no matter how hard we prayed, how hard we worked, we just did not ever seem to be able to get much to happen, didn't seem to have much movement of the Holy Spirit. And then as he began to investigate that church, what he found out is in their history for years, every two or three years, they would have a big split. And then as he began to know the people in the church, he knew they sat on separate sides of the room for a reason. And listen, when you got 40 or 50 people in a room every week, you begin to know the sins of each other. He said there was so much disunity that went back years in our church body. He said without a lot of funerals or a great revival, the Holy Spirit was never going to be able to work. Disunity will ruin us. Listen, we don't have to agree on everything. We have to agree on a few essential things that we can never compromise on. But if we have to agree on everything, would you agree to agree with me on everything? No. Annie shook her head no real quick. The who, who's, who's our standard on, on some of the things that are, that are different? Or may, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. You like drums. Somebody else likes organs. Who's right? Both of you are. We can never let disunity settle in our body, in your youth group, in your college ministry, in your choir, Wayne, in our children's ministry, because disunity will derail us so, so quickly. And here's the last thing, and that's selfishness. And again, all these go together. You know, when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, we're lazy after God. So many things we could apply here. But I think one of the things that, that was pr- problematic in Thessalonica, and it's problematic in every church since the first church was started, is you deal with selfishness. Jesus' day, the selfish religious people were the Pharisees. They had assumed that they were God's people, God's leaders. They knew the Bible better than anybody else. And what they'd done over a course of years is they had drawn up the rules of of religion, the rules of the temple, the rules of the synagogue, how you interpreted every scripture, and that was how it was going to be. And if you didn't agree with them or you didn't want to go along with them, you could literally be flogged. You could be removed from the temple, removed from the synagogue. And by the time Jesus got on the scene, Jewish religion was, was very, very unhealthy. And certainly it was not something God had his hand on. And boy, does that happen today. Here's one way it happens. We, we confuse our preferences with principles. We confuse methods with principles. Principles are timeless things that never change. Methods are how you do those things. Again, music is a primary example. You know, I started pastoring in 1986. I was two years old. I was the youngest pastor ever at that point in 1986. But uh, God gave me the uh, the <laughs> Uh, the, the, uh, the, the classroom, I guess, of the music wars, of the worship wars. Because that was when churches began to transition a lot musically. And boy, you know, uh, that, that's, that was probably in lots and lots of churches. And a lot of that was simply preference issues. 1991, in an area where I, I pastored, started pastoring the next year, there was a church in a community that was having a Friday night singing. How many of you ever been to a singing before? In Texas, it's pronounced a singing, a singing. Now, I'm going to warn you, it's like American Idol on steroids, except nobody's judging, and anybody can get up. 
And there's not a gong like the old gong show to stop them. So it can be beautiful and it can be painful. Mike Hilton and Ronnie and I and Kenny Brister can be a quartet. It'd be brutal. But we would be able to do that because God loves a joyful what? A joyful noise. They're having a singing and the, the little church was packed. There was about 150 people in it. And some of the people there that, that were later members of my church told me, man, God was moving the people were singing. The Spirit of God was there. Somebody got up and sang, and they used to tape. Well, that's not a big deal, is it? Well, it was a big deal for a lot of people at a certain time in church history. The pastor of that church, after this person sang a beautiful song, can you imagine being that person who did this, sang this beautiful song with tape music, got up, clapped his hands, and said, we will not have any more of that canned music here in our church. That's how you, they used to refer, people who didn't like, using a tape, uh, accompaniment tape, as they referred to it as canned music. Y'all are familiar with that term? Canned music. And then he went on about how they were going to use the piano, the organ, or they were going to sing a cappella, but no more of that demonic, evil, canned music. One of my friends told me, he said, you could almost see the Holy Spirit walk out the back door. Don't confuse your preferences with principles. Music is a principle. Drums and organs and guitars and pianos are methods of, of getting that principle out. Correct? I used to have people in another church, maybe here, I don't know, you never said, got mad because I didn't use the pulpit. The pulpit was sacred. You need to stand behind the pulpit. The only problem is that's not in the Bible. We have no record of Jesus ever standing behind a pulpit. Preaching is the principle. If you're, on t- you're standing on your head and doing it, you'd probably draw a pretty good crowd, wouldn't you? First Baptist, the church where he stands on his head and he preaches. Don't confuse that. Listen, selfishness is just the opposite of godliness. It quenches the spirit. So let me throw this at you. We've got to repent. We have to repent. Let's look at verse 19 one more time. I want want you to see this. Do not, emphatic, do not do this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Stop, these Thessalonians, stop this act that is in process. Folks, if you're taking notes, write this down. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not come in where he is not invited, and he does not stay where he is not welcome. Did you hear me? It's the weirdest thing that we can quench God, but we can. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He will not come in if he is not invited, and he will not stay where he is not welcome. But without him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. 1999, Oklahoma City in May, May of 1999, there was a series of tornadoes, but... An F5 tornado, which if you're familiar with tornadoes, that is the mother load of tornadoes. That is the baddest of the bad. Hit hit in the Oklahoma City area, more Oklahoma in that area. And it was devastating. Billions of dollars worth of damage. Uh, A lot of people died. Many, hundreds of people were injured. It was terrible. And I can remember one of our politicians getting on TV and said this. He said, We have got to figure out a way to stop or to lessen these tornadoes. Now, I'm not a meteorologist nor a brain surgeon. But I said, what did he just say? And he heard me. He repeated. No, he didn't repeat it. But I read it later. We must figure out a way to stop 
our lesson these tornadoes. Let me give you a quick weather lesson. We are not going to stop tornadoes. We are not going to lessen tornadoes. We're going to get big fans and put them up in Oklahoma and blow them into, blow them into uh, Albuquerque or something. We are not going to do it. We can get better and better at predicting them, where they're going to hit, how powerful they are. We're a lot better than that than we were 20 years ago. But we're not going to stop a tornado. We are not going to do it. But here's something that is unbelievable. We can stop God. We can quench God. You can live your life as a Christian full of the Holy Spirit. Or you can live your life full of yourself and the Holy Spirit bunched up in your big toe. We can live the rest of our life as a church full of the Spirit of God and the power of God. Or we can, we can have the Holy Spirit sit out in the foyer while we do our own thing. And we can make a lot of noise and have a little impact. Or we can say tonight, we can say the rest of our lives here on this earth, as long as it's up to me, the Holy Spirit is going to have His freedom to do what He wants in my life and my church. Will you say that with me tonight? We're going to give the invitation in a moment. If you're not a Christian, will you come tonight and give your life to Jesus? That's the beginning point of the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for you to welcome him in. Maybe tonight you would like to join our church body. We would love for you to, but let me just say this. We want you to help us be full of the Spirit. We want to bless you, but we want you to bring us an attitude and a heart that gives the Spirit freedom here. And Christian, maybe tonight where you're standing or at the altar, listen to me one more second. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to go to somebody after church. Maybe you want to come to this altar and get on your knees or your face or pray with a minister and say, God, forgive me for quenching you in my life and in my church. And from this point on, it's going to be different. Let's stand. And as the Spirit of God moves in your heart, respond.